Hey everyone, today we jump on and we continue on a journey in Mark and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1 verses 16 to 39. I really wanted to finish off chapter 1 in this uh, video but um, there was just too much in there for, for, for me to be able to do that. Um, and so strap in because there's going to be a little bit that we covered today but I hope that it's going to be really relevant and enriching as you continue to study the book of Mark with us. And so uh, we jump on a little bit into what Jesus actually does now that he's been tested in the wilderness and, and, and that, that season is done, that little patch of time, that 40 days is done. This uh, Today we start to jump into more of his public ministry, as we call it. And so starting in verse 16, let's read. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets without delay. He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I used to love the imagery of this passage. Jesus calls out to these men and they leave everything behind in order to follow him. And, and he just simply uses these words, come, follow me. And these men actually did it. Now, I heard messages using this passage about this, this immediate obedience, about this faith in, in, in Jesus. And, and I, I do believe that that is something that we can learn from these men uh, about hearing the call from Jesus and responding. The truth, though, as, um, I, uh, as I discovered, as I, I studied this uh, a while ago, as well as uh, for this message, is that the picture is a little bit more complex because we don't really fully understand the Jewish culture in uh, in our Western context and so we need to dive a little bit more to understand what could be taking place in the minds of these men why did they follow Jesus why was there such an immediate uh, obedience and, and, and this this sacrifice this leaving of things behind in order to follow Jesus uh, was there some kind of mystic power or did, did Jesus use uh, um, I don't know a force command as in Star Wars come follow me and and suddenly they were just taken by it and, and followed him or was there something more that was taking place the answer is probably a little more simple than those mystical answers and that is that Jesus by this point was already recognized as a rabbi now we've heard the word rabbi possibly if you've been churches for a bit it simply means teacher and it's a title that we don't understand in our Western uh, culture. I had to do quite a little bit of digging uh, to try to get a handle on uh, how Jesus became a rabbi. And by the time that Jesus was walking on this earth, the title rabbi was probably a little bit more restricted. And if you will, maybe codified, there was a certain process to becoming a rabbi. Think of it kind of like an ordination. I'm a pastor. I'm ordained by the Australian Christian churches. And there was a process and there was a bunch of boxes that I had to tick in order to receive this ordination. And so rabbis were experts of the law of the Torah. The origins of this idea of the rabbis actually came from Moses' time. 
He would lay hands on people and, and ordain them to be judges across the land. Um, and, and in particular as well, obviously with, with Joshua, uh, Moses laid hands on him and, 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 and spirit was imparted upon him to be the leader and to ensure that the people of Israel were going to follow God's law. This laying on of hands uh, was is, 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 is this it is where this idea of their ordination comes from, and it is called the. Uh, forgive my pronunciation. In the Hebrew, it's called the shmeha, uh, as S E M I C H A H in our English. But this shmeha is is the ordination, is the laying on of hands to receive uh, the spirit in order to uh, continue to judge. And so to be a rabbi, uh, to go through the shmeha, one would need to do significant study and probably years of it. Um, and, and, and Jesus probably did this as well. Uh, he, there, there, there's some evidence, I guess, that Jesus would have spent years in different schools and even being taught by a rabbi himself in order to be able to be ordained as a rabbi. And, and to be recognized as a rabbi, and this is where we can get this inference from, is, is that he would need to be recognized by the Sanhedrin, uh, the ruling religious leaders, uh, in order to be recognized as a rabbi. And the normal procedure would be that he would have had to go to school, learn about the laws, be recognized as a cream of the crop, and be taken by a rabbi to continue his education, and then finally standing before the Sanhedrin, or at least one of them, uh, with other witnesses, before being conferred the title of rabbi. And we know through the rest of the Gospels that Jesus is formally recognized as a rabbi, in particular because of accounts where he was speaking with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the ones that actually used the title rabbi uh, as a title. Uh, and so for them to call Jesus rabbi is something of great significance. And we see this in Luke 19 verse 39, as well as in John 3 verse 2. If a Pharisee who takes this title extremely importantly because it is their title uh, and calls Jesus a rabbi Jesus therefore is a rabbi it, think about it this way in our current context it would be like saying Jesus is a doctor we don't just call anyone doctor. We call, some, as we call someone a doctor because either they're a medical doctor and they've gone through that training or maybe they've got a PhD, a doctorate, and so we call them a doctor. But no matter what, they have taken years of their time in order to study and to educate themselves in order uh, and, and passing all the tests along the way in order to receive this title. And, and so that is the same with Jesus. So Jesus' teaching is spirit-led, is spirit-inspired, no doubt. But at the same time, Jesus also had a foundation of education that allowed him to receive this title of rabbi. 
I remember when I first learned a little bit more about this whole process of Jesus becoming a rabbi. And that this frankly surprised me because I always had this picture that Jesus had this direct link to God, uh, the Father. And so he received all this teaching and it was inspired. But he didn't need to go through this education process because it was basically he had this direct link to God. But that is not the case. Jesus went through an education in order to receive this title, which aided him in his mission. And that was something that has spurred me on in my continued pursuit of education and learning. Not to say that that is more important than what the Spirit can teach me or or whatever it is, but in in this self-education, this self-development process that I'm going through, it enables me to carry the mission of God that, that He has given to me. My question for you in, in that same way is that if Jesus needed to study scripture in order to carry out his mission, how much more do we as his disciples need to also do our studies? How many of us are expecting God to move in our lives, but we never develop a discipline of Bible reading? How many of us want to take on the call to be uh, a pastor, to work in the church, but we wouldn't consider going through a formal education? Jesus more than likely went through a formal education process in order to have this title. And so because Jesus was a rabbi, part of what he would have been doing is, as all rabbis would have done, is to call and choose disciples that they would train up to go through the shmiha for themselves. And so when Jesus was walking in Galilee as a recognized rabbi, And he sees this fisherman and he says, come follow me. It's not just simply a random dude going around saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they're like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. No, it was a rabbi saying, come follow me. I'm going to train you up. I'm going to give you the opportunity to become a rabbi yourself. That was a significant call. In that culture, the rabbis were highly respected. It was a profession that was reserved for the cream of the crop. Uh, These rabbis would go to uh, schools and they would find young boys that, that show an aptitude for learning and take them on as disciples in the hope that they would be trained up to become famous rabbis, which would set them up. In, in that society and in that time. Whereas when Jesus was going through Galilee and he calls fishermen, some scholars uh, indicate that the, the fishermen were on the lower side of the socioeconomic scale and in culture in that time. It was not seen as a clean occupation. It was a dirty, it, it, it was something reserved for the lower class. So these uneducated men being called by a rabbi to follow in his footsteps in the hopes of one day being able to be ordained themselves was a massive, mind-blowing moment for them. No wonder they let go of their previous occupation. This was a promotion for them. And my question for you is, how do you understand God's call on your life? Do you see it as an inconvenience? Is letting go of the things that God is calling you to let go of in order to follow Him 
truly that big a sacrifice because when I'm reading this and I understand it in terms of the culture, the call of God was a privilege. The call of God was a promotion. The call of God was quiet sacrifice, no doubt. But it was a sacrifice that those men were quick to take on because of what it symbolized and they valued the call. Do you value the call? Are you willing to go through what it takes to follow Jesus? For these men, another thing that we can see is that they probably were on the older side for disciples. Uh, it is more than likely that, as I mentioned, that, Jesus, uh, that rabbis on that day would have um, chosen younger boys because it would be easier to educate them at a younger age. Some of these men were much older. We, we later on in Mark chapter 1 find out that Peter is married, which probably means that he's really past the age of being called to be a disciple. Yet Jesus never discounted any of them based on cultural expectations, based on their age, based on where they come from. He had a viewpoint on where they were going. I think God does the same for every single one of us. Every single one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter where we come from, God has a call on your life. How are you going to respond to it? Well, let's continue reading on in Mark chapter 1. We're now in verse 21, and it says this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed and they said to each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him quickly spread across the whole region of Galilee. I want to make a quick note here. I know that there's a whole portion about uh, Jesus casting out uh, uh, an evil spirit. We don't have much time to dive. We don't have time to dive into that in this particular uh, message. We might come to that a little bit later in the book of Mark. But what I want to point out is that Jesus went to the synagogue to teach. Now, this is another indication that he was a formally accepted rabbi. Not just anyone could go to the synagogues and, and begin to teach. He was recognized as a teacher of the law. And when he begins to teach, the people actually say this. Who is this guy? He has authority as he teach. Now, I didn't use to understand this because, again, Western mindset. Uh, but when they were saying that Jesus taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law, it wasn't that Jesus shouted and screamed. It wasn't that Jesus had a firm voice. It was how Jesus spoke. You see, when the, the, the rabbis used to teach in those days, they would confer and they would lean on other rabbinical uh, 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 writings and teachings in order to bring uh, uh, scripture to life. But when Jesus taught, he taught as though he was the final authority. 
As we can remember, maybe in Luke chapter 4, you can go and read that for yourself. When Jesus went to the synagogue, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, which was given to him, and he reads out, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, and, and, and etc. As he read on, and then he says this that this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was teaching this as an authority, he was teaching this as a prophet, perhaps, as some scholars would say, one that had authority to bring revelation to people. That is what authority is. Authority isn't about strong-handedness, but it's about this sense of uh, being able to, to bring God's truth to people. And that is what Jesus had. And he, the authority he had was also over the evil spirits and also, as we will read on, uh, in, in order to heal people as well. Jesus had real authority. So let's read on. In verses 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So Jesus continues to heal the sick. And as a note, Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, and this Simon is Peter. And remember, Peter is probably the one recounting this story, which Mark then writes down in order to give us this gospel. And so, in effect, this was Peter and Andrew's, as well as James and John's um, hometown. This was their hood, and this was their people. Imagine seeing the whole town gathered at the door in order to hear Jesus and to receive ministry from him. They had just started following this rabbi and already this rabbi was, was turning the whole town upside down. This was never seen before. This authority, this fame, this would have been so exciting. I can just imagine Peter maybe thinking, oh, wow, I made the right choice, a right career change. This Jesus is the real deal. So keep that in mind. This is their town. Let's continue the account in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Hold up, we might miss something really important here. Jesus' ministry, according to Mark, was in his infancy. It's just beginning to take off. He's got a whole town buzzing. Many of his disciples, family and friends are all there. They see their circles of influence flocking towards Jesus and they're like, this is it. So after a day of ministry, they are resting and Jesus wakes up early to pray. I don't know about you, but if I've been ministering all day, I want to sleep in. I know the crowds are going to be there the next day. This is going to be, I need to recharge. I need to get my energy. I need to rest. But Jesus wakes up to pray in a solitary place because it's not about the crowds. It's not about putting on a Christian face. It's not about necessarily ministering to people. It's about his relationship with the Father. And so he takes this time away from everyone else to pray. And as he was praying, the disciples wake up and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's he gone? 
here's our meal ticket. I don't know if that's necessarily what they thought, but maybe one of them would have, because they're like, this, this guy asked us to follow him, and we've got these people, uh, the, the crowds have already come, and they're trying to find him, and where's he gone? These are our people, and we want Jesus to minister to them. There is work to be done. And they find Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, oh yeah, yeah, okay, now I'm ready, let's go. He actually says, let's leave. Let's leave that crowd that has already formed. Let's leave the town that we've been ministering in over the last day. Our time, our mission is beyond here. I would be like, no, 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 no. My, 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 my crazy aunt still needs healing. <laughs> Or the, the, well, Jesus, the whole town is here. We don't need to go anywhere else. They will come to us. We have success here. Let's camp here. Let's stay here. And I'm having to learn, and it's a lesson that I struggle with constantly, but I'm having to learn that being spirit-led isn't about success the way that I've always thought about it. It's actually about being called to a bigger picture than I will ever recognize in the moment. It's about obedience to a God who has the plan. It's about submitting my plans to his plans. And so here's a question for you to think about. How close do you stay to Jesus in the middle of success? How close do you stay to Jesus in the, uh, in the middle of success? For Jesus... In the middle of a whole town being turned upside down, he goes to God, he goes to his father and he begins to pray. He begins to seek out what is his next step. The success that he was seeing did not sway him, did not refocus him, did not give him a new mission. And that is something that I'm needing to learn. My mission is simply to obey God's plan for my life. And yes, sometimes that will mean leaving certain successes behind. I'm not saying that that's always going to be the case. I'm not saying that you always need to leave things halfway. In fact, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that in the middle of success, or what is seen as success, is, is your focus to God? Is, is God? is obedience to God really your ultimate success? I remember the Old Testament... Samuel saying this um, to Saul, he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. God's not looking for people to sacrifice. God's looking for people to obey. So think about this. What kind of successes are you willing to leave behind in order to follow what Jesus is wanting to do? What towns are you willing to leave behind in order to stay in obedience? How often do you come to God and ask him, what, what is it that you want done? You know, I'm learning that that is the most important thing. I'm learning that having a big church is not the ultimate goal for me. Having fame, being asked to, to preach and to speak in many different places, that would be awesome. It's something that I have always dreamed of. But that success is not anywhere near as important. I'm trying to make that the case. As following God. So I know I need to make space to hear what God is asking me to do. What God is asking of me, what his plans and his purposes are. Cultivating that relationship with him. And that's why in this season, every Sunday night, we're having our Sunday night live worship sessions. 
in order to give people the space just to, 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 to spend with God, to hear God's voice, just to, to be in His presence. How are you cultivating that space? Not just on Sunday night, not just on Sunday morning, but every single day of your life. No matter whether you are feel, you're, you're seeing success or whether you are faced with failure, your relationship with God and your obedience to His call is the most important thing. Can I just pray for you? Because I believe that this is an important message for all of us. Dear God, I pray that in our hearts that we seek obedience first and foremost. That we want to hear your voice. We want to live according to your ways. We thank you for the model that is Jesus, who would spend years and years studying and getting himself ready for the call that you had on his life. I pray that there would be such utter obedience on our part as we uh, uh, try to lead this life of obedience, live, living a life that is pleasing to you, God. I pray for the strength and the courage. I pray for the wisdom upon each and every person listening to this message. And I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have fun in your lift groups discussing uh, this message and, and all the fellowship as well. We'll love to see you at a Sunday night live worship session. Set some time aside. Seek after God this week and let's see what he does in our lives. Thank you.